Well, once again, Happy New Year, Meadowland. Welcome to 2017. I pray you had a good time with your family and friends, whoever you're visiting with for uh, Christmas and New Year's. Uh, welcome, students. I know we've got a family service here. Feel free to move, and, and, and we don't have to sit perfectly still unless your mom told you to, then listen to your mother. Well, today marks a new year, and it kind of begs the question, we kind of primed the pump with this, begs the question, did you set any resolutions? Do you have any goals for the year ahead? Oftentimes, they, they look something like this. You, you want to do more of this and less of that, or you want to start doing blank and stop doing blank, and you kind of fill in the blanks there. Maybe you have a, a list of you want to be better, stronger, smarter, thinner, lighter, you know, more of whatever. There's some aspect of our life we look at that we're not satisfied with or we long to be further, and so we set a goal or resolution along that line. Maybe you just simply added to your bucket list of things that you'd like to do uh, before you kick the bucket. Maybe you set the goal of knocking off a few instead of just keeping adding more to that list. Hey, I want to knock a few of those off in, in this season ahead. Um, or maybe even you just kind of regurgitated last year's list. and Like, oh yeah, I, I don't know, I'll just, hey, I got my list set. I'll use the one from last year. Uh, whether you do that or not, this is always a, a good time of year, especially with it being the first today, just to kind of say, hey, what does our next year look like? See, oftentimes we, we look to improve these various aspects of our lives, whether it be our, our physical or our mental or our relational or our emotional or, or our spiritual. We look at different aspects of our lives. Well, how, how can I take the next step in that aspect of my life? Maybe you set a goal about taking steps in your life spiritually. If that's you and you're here this morning, you've you got a great start going. I mean, you're already here gathering together as the church with, with, with God's people and, and uh, hearing his word, praising him for who he is, giving worship through, through offering, all these different things we're doing, uh, what it means to, to worship God, what it looks like to follow after him. So you got a good start if that was one of your goals or resolutions for the year. If you've also hit, hit the gym already before you came this morning, man, you got double points right there. You're already uh, well on your way in 2017. Well, goals and resolutions have their place, and they, they can keep us moving forward. But I want to give you a word of caution as we talk about this. See, moving forward is only as good as what's before you. Moving forward is only as good as what's before you. Uh, as a friend of mine, I'm going to quote here, uh, he says this all the time. He says, I'm not afraid of failing, but of succeeding at the wrong things. I'm not afraid of failing, but, uh, but of succeeding at the wrong things. So if you're moving forward in a plan that, that isn't one to fulfill, I mean, that maybe your, your New Year's resolution is to turn and go the other way. Uh, if you have kids, or maybe you remember when you were a kid and you walked past one of those claw machines. I don't know what it is about those claw machines. They just draw you in. And you want to look at all these worthless toys that you just have to have. And, and if you ever played one of those, um, by the grace of God, my parents said, no, you can't play it, so I don't have this personal experience, but I've seen this experience where someone finally gets a toy, and they take it out, and they're like, look, I won this toy, and in my head, I have this internal dialogue that just says, you know, I'm filling in their words, and they're saying, look, I got this $1 toy for $50 worth of quarters. You know, you see, moving forward in the claw machine isn't really uh, a good place to be moving forward. Maybe you have a goal of gaining more friends and more relationships, but you do it by um, ganging up with some people on your siblings. 
hey, if they're picking on my siblings. So if I join with them, maybe you know, I'll, I'll grow in, in a friendship with them. And so you increase that friendship, but you kind of destroy the relationship with your sibling. Again, what, what's in front of you makes a difference when we're talking about moving forward with goals and resolutions. Maybe you can relate to this one. The, the, the workaholic who's climbed the corporate ladder, who's excelled at work, but at the cost of their family. Whether it's ended uh, in a broken home and divorce, or just someone who doesn't know their spouse and doesn't know their kids because they've, they've put so much into work that they've foregone their family. So as we talk about goals and resolutions, a key thing we need to look out isn't just some of the steps we want to take this season, but what's before us. What do we fix our eyes on? So yes, let's set some resolutions, but let's affirm what we're moving towards, or in some cases, reaffirm what we're moving towards. Let's affix our eyes on that what is most important. Or in some cases, let's reaffix our eyes on that which is most important. So to do that, we're going to return to our Christmas story. And this is a series we've been going through uh, this whole past month, past five weeks, and this is why I've been having these doors up here, as each door kind of told a story, and maybe you came in this morning, you saw the doors, and you're like, oh, so just that week between Christmas and New Year's, no one wanted it, no one wanted to carry the stage and set it, so we're just going to leave the doors up there, and you know, no, no, that's not the case. Um, we, we left this up intentionally, because we still want to stay in this series for this week, this is the last Sunday of this, this series called The Christmas Story. Because there's still more of the story to tell. I mean, that, that's been the heart of this series. If you've noticed, uh, the logo we have up there has a semicolon at the end of a Christmas story. Well, what does a semicolon mean? Well, it means there's, there's more to come. There's more to the story. The thought isn't done yet. You've made a statement that could qualify as a sentence on its own, but hey, there's, there's more to be told. And every time we get to this point in the year where Christmas has come and gone, there's always that little bit of a, well, what next? Is Christmas is done? Do we just put away the Christmas tree and the decorations and all that, and we're just waiting until next year? Or, or is there something that we're supposed to continue in? Is there something that we celebrated that we should build upon? So here's how we go and live our life. And I think the answer to that is yes, there is. And that's what we're looking at here this morning. So while these doors led us to the nativity scene, Today is a story beyond the nativity. It's, it's a new chapter, more so than a new door. Um, but my goal is to help you connect with what happened 2,000 years ago with what's going on here today in 2017. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be here this morning. It will be on the screen over my head as well. And you can also go digital and open, uh, turn on an you know, iPhone or iPad, tablet, any, any way to get the Word of God in front of you. In Matthew chapter 2... So when Matthew wrote his gospel of Jesus, uh, he didn't hit on many details around the birth of Jesus. He kind of jumps right to the early years. Um, what he's talking about here in chapter 1, most people believe, most scholars believe that this is about two years or somewhere in that span from birth to about two years old, somewhere in that time frame. We're going to see different clues that we'll touch on in a moment. Um, but so this is occurring somewhere about two years after the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And so kind of setting the stage here, Matthew fills in some details about uh, the, the early years of Jesus' life, uh, but also could raise more questions. So at, at this point in history, 
Rome has conquered Jerusalem and the surrounding region, the surrounding area. And they basically, after they conquer an area, they set up different rulers. In this case, they bring in Herod, who becomes king of the Jews. So while he's not king over all of Rome, he, he, he is the leader in that area. You could say that he's king of the Jews because of the region that he is head, of, head over. And we see this, these wise men that show up from the east following a star. Now again, that may raise more questions. Well, who are these wise men? How do they follow a star to a specific location? If you have looked into some of that stuff, I, yeah, I'm not an expert in it. I, I know you can use the stars to navigate um, your cardinal directions, so to know if you're going north, south, east, or west. But I've never been able to follow a star to a, a specific location. And yet that's what the text leads us to believe. And so maybe there's some questions. That's okay. Ask those questions. Especially students here this morning, all of us should be doing this. Anytime we, we come across a part of Scripture, like, how, how would that happen? How would that really play out? Ask those questions and, and look for those answers. Now, we also need to look at what's the weight of that answer. Sometimes we don't get the answer we long for. As we dig into Scripture, as we look at what other people who've gone before us think, as we talk to others uh, who, who have trusted in Jesus and are, are digging into God's Word, Maybe the answer we come to isn't the one that isn't, doesn't fulfill all of our questions, or it's not the answer we wanted. But still, ask those questions. Seek out truth. And so, while we don't know necessarily how that happened, maybe they just knew from the prophecies that uh, the Messiah was going to be born in the city of David. And so they're going to the, the Jerusalem area. That also could have led them to Bethlehem, where David was from. So we don't know too much about these wise men. We know they came from the east. Uh, it, it's believed that this would be like the Chaldeans. If you remember back to our Daniel series, we talked about the Chaldeans who, who were the wise men of, of Babylon, the scholars and, and those who would be into, into studying and learning about the world around us. And then it kind of starts to fill in the pieces where we all of a sudden see well, how we move forward in history and how would they know these Jewish prophecies. Well, Daniel really made a name for himself, not only with the Babylonians, but also with the Medes and the Persians who took over the Babylonians. There's also these, the story that we looked at about where he interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, and that dream was this image of a, of a statue that had various metals and materials as you went down the statue. It was the head of gold and then silver and bronze and clay at the bottom. It was the story of these different kingdoms that would come until ultimately a Messiah would come, a Savior would come. And so you can imagine a lot of the different prophecies from the Jewish people would have been read by these, these wise men, these students who studied all they could get their hands on. And so it makes sense that, yeah, they probably knew those prophecies. And they're probably wondering, hey, we've seen these kingdoms come and go. We've seen Babylon fall. And the different and the maids and the Persians came in. We've seen all these different things take place. And so it's very likely that that's the area that these wise men would have come from. And so even if they're familiar with the Jewish prophecy that they can set out for the city of David. And the purpose of their trip is clear. What's before them is clear. They are coming to worship Jesus. This King of Kings that they are looking for, this Messiah, this Savior, we look at how he's referred to throughout the text of Matthew chapter 2. We see that it's clear. They're not just going to see a baby that's been born, but they're going to worship the Messiah, the King of Kings. Their goal is, is, tra is to travel west, to go and find him, and they're focused on the right thing. As we talk about our goals and our resolutions, let's follow suit. Let's put before us Jesus, worshiping him, seeking him as we take our next steps. So uh, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, 
and all Jerusalem with him. Again, kind of raises more questions. Why would all Jerusalem be troubled uh, over the becoming Messiah? Wouldn't that be something that would be uh, good news for them? Um, many believe he's kind of looking at some of the context around this. It's referring to the leadership in Jerusalem because they know this Messiah that was coming would also come in righteousness. And so there's a sense in which maybe, hey, if you've been kind of lacking and just kind of not, not pursuing God, maybe there might be some judgment coming your way. Maybe that's why there's some fear there. But Herod's the king. He's the one in a position of authority, and he's afraid for his position. So this troubles him that this king has been born. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he calls the people together. Hey, do you know where this is supposed to happen? They flip back through their prophecies. Oh yeah, it's supposed to, it's supposed to happen in Bethlehem. So verse 7, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. It may sound like Herod's having a change of heart. He goes from being troubled. He's troubled. But no, no, help me find where he is. And when you find where he is, bring me to him and let me know where he's at so I can go and worship him. Okay, maybe there's some hope for Herod yet, but then we kind of keep reading the text and uh, Time will reveal his true plan. Before the wise men press on and they accomplish their goal of finding the Messiah. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And so in a dream, they they get this warning. It says, don't go back to Herod. Don't tell him where the Messiah is. And so they find an alternate route home. Well, why was that? If we keep reading in the text, we find out that Herod realizes, hey, these magis aren't coming back. These wise men aren't going to fill me in. Well, I know the general region, and I know the general time. He says, when did the star appear? So he, he can kind of figure out, in this area, any kid under the age of two, any male, could possibly be this, this Messiah, this king of kings. And, and so like any cowardly king who is afraid of losing the throne, he goes and he kills any two-year-old male or younger in that region. And so you see, he didn't want to go in and worship him. He just wanted to find out where this Messiah was so he could kill him, so he could take the competition out of the picture. But we see God's hand upon it where... Um, if we can, we're not going to look at this this morning, but you keep reading the story, you see that Mary and Joseph and Jesus get out of there before uh, Herod can do any harm to them. I also want to give a, a quick clarification here. If you noticed, we have an undisclosed number of wise men. So we don't know how many wise men, but on, so some number of magi show up at a house with three gifts for Jesus. As the Exodus, they opened up their treasures and they had gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So maybe there's even more as we look at this, this term treasures. But we see three gifts listed there. Many of us are, are used to this story of three kings that show up at a nativity. 
And while you can, we can unpack how that kind of got lumped in there, you look at you know, the early years of Jesus and all kind of fits within there, but in the scene at the birth of Jesus, there, there were no kings except for the king of kings in the manger. This is, like I said, probably about two years after the fact. And while these wise men were definitely in a position of authority, it'd be more appropriate to call them wise men than kings. And they show up at a house, the text said. Did you catch that? Not at a manger. And so it affirms uh, that this takes place a little bit later. So they come to Jesus, and this is what they've been looking for. Their goal, their, their focus was the Messiah. And they set out to find him however they could. And the star leads them there. And, and so what do they do? They worship him. They fall down. They bow down to him. They give him gifts. They give him three gifts that are listed there. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And a quick little tangent on this. It's pretty cool. The more you unpack kind of what those could signify, gold would have been a valuable metal that would also be seen as a sign of royalty because it would be hard to come by. And so it's something that uh, either most likely royalty would have. And so by bestowing this gold to this king of kings, that there's a whether intentional or not, this acknowledgement of he's royalty. And in the frankincense, this would be a valuable resin that could be used by priests in making sacrifices, making offerings, a burnt offering, and this would have a, a pleasing aroma. And so it kind of begins to tie in the truth of Jesus as our great high priest, that he would be an intercessor between man and God, that he would be this offering, that he would be a sweet aroma to God as he makes a way for us to be in relationship with the Father. And then we see myrrh, this valuable perfume that was often used for embalming. This is almost a, a point, highly a point of death. And so we have this tie to royalty, this tie to being a priest, and now this tie to being a sacrifice. As we're going to unpack those, there's some great power in there. But what's interesting There's kind of two simpler truths I want us to pull from this. The first one is this. Jesus came for all people. There can be no confusion about this. Jesus came for all people. In Matthew, when he writes his gospel, he unpacks this a couple different ways. We see this both at the beginning and at the end of his story. So here in chapter 2, he's talking about these wise men from the east. So not Jewish, not, not Jews. But these Gentiles, non-Jews, who come from the east to worship God. They want to come and see this Messiah who was born. He's not just for the Jews. It's not just a Jewish Savior born to Jewish parents in a Jewish town. But this is the King of Kings. This is the Messiah, the Savior, who will unite all people together under the kingdom of God. And then we see Matthew at the end of his gospel. In Matthew chapter 28, he gives us the Great Commission. So the beginning is the, these Gentiles who come and see what has happened. And at the end, in chapter 28, we see the disciples are told to go and tell all nations, making disciples of all nations, go and tell about Jesus. And so we see in this story that Jesus is for all people. That's one just quick, simple truth I want us to walk away with this morning as we step into 2017. But the second one is this. The wise men worshipped in a way that shows both who Jesus is, at least who they believed him to be, and I would agree, and who they were. It tells us something about Jesus and tells us something about them. What did they do? They fell down low. They bowed before him, in essence, figuratively lifting him high, saying, you are above us. You are worthy. You are king of kings. 
and they brought him gifts. Now, th these are men with power. Whether they were full-on kings or not, being wise men, being able to travel afar like that, being able to bestow those gifts, these men had influence and power. And so to be able to come before this king, there, there's a humility in that. They're saying, hey, we're not going to expect you to come to our place and say hi. We're, we're, we're coming to you. And we're going to bow down and worship you. And then we're going to give you these gifts. What I love about those gifts is, is they gave what they had as opposed to what Jesus needed. Think about that. They gave what they had as opposed to what Jesus needed. Because at the end of the day, what, what, what does God need from us? Nothing. He doesn't need anything from us. He asks that we would give ourselves to him. He asks that we would surrender our will to him. He asks that we would be on mission with him. And then he works in and through us when we respond to that. But he doesn't need us to do that. Now, that's one of the beautiful parts of the gospel, that he invites us into the work that he's doing here in the world. But he doesn't need these gifts from these wise men. So it tells us more about them. They say, hey, here's what I have to give. It reminds me of the little drummer boy. Now again, if you have a drummer boy in your nativity, they mean, okay, that's fine. You know, maybe you have a Power Ranger and a Tyrannosaurus Rex too, which is okay. Um, but there's no drummer boy in the story of the nativity. This is actually a Christmas carol that was written about 1940s. Uh, and there's some other stories that they believe it kind of maybe came from. But it's this hypothetical story of this little boy who would be there, would see Jesus, and, you know, what, what do I have to give? Well, I got a drum that I can play. I, I could play my drum for him, and I'll play my best for him. Actually, I'm just going to play a, a quick video. This is one of my favorite song, uh, Christmas carols, Little Drummer Boy. Let's just listen to the lyrics as we watch this song. Go ahead.
the simple truth of that song. I, I played my best for him. And so you have this story of this little boy who's got a drum, says, hey, you know what, here's what I can give to Jesus. I, I think sometimes we can quickly brush that off as just a cute little song. Like, oh yeah, I get a little kid playing a drum. Isn't that cute? You know, it's like when you, your little ones, if you have them, or little grandkids or nieces or nephews or just little kids in your life, draw a picture and um, I've learned you don't say, oh, what is it? You know, you say, oh, tell me about it. There's a little free one for you. Tell me about this, and they'll tell you what it is. You can, oh, that's the best tree in a, I don't know, whatever, best alligator climbing a tree I've ever seen. Um, and you bring it, you put it on the frame. I mean, this isn't just that simple of a truth. I mean, this isn't that, just kind of this thing you just dismiss. But this is, no, this, they're giving their best. And that's why it goes on the fridge is because, hey, this is, this is pretty awesome. What, what a great imagination. And, and so then, Sometimes when we grow up, we lose that, that wonder. We lose that simplicity of, hey, here's what I got. Maybe I'm not sure how today, but in some way or another, how can I use what I have for God? How can I give it back to him? How can I give my best to him? How can I keep him as my focus as I set any goals or resolutions so that as I take steps forward, I'm drawn closer to him so that I can be a part of his mission, a part of his plan. You know, anything that we would have to give, any ability, any possession, in some way or another, can all come back to because God has allowed us to have it. Because God has put us where we are. Because God has allowed us to have the opportunities that we've had in life to take. And so in one aspect or another, we can look at where we are today, all that we would have to give, give God glory for it, acknowledge that he doesn't need it, but that he asked for us to give it and then to know that he will use it for his glory and for our good. It reminds me of a story of uh, a time where Jesus is preaching, all these people gathering around, and it's time to eat. People are getting hungry, and everyone's kind of starting to look at Jesus like, hey, you know, 
we're, we're here for you. Are you, you going to feed us? And so the disciples are like, you got to tell everyone to go home. We don't have any food to feed them. And all of a sudden, this boy shows up. says, you, you can have my lunch. I got some fish and some bread. And Jesus is like, awesome, let's do it. Here's again the story of this little boy taking just what he had. Jesus takes it and multiplies it. And after feeding thousands of people with the little boy's lunch, there's basketfuls of leftovers. And so it's just one picture of how we can take what we have, what we have to give, and use it. And so as we close out uh, this morning, but as we begin this year, I want to invite you to join with me uh, in giving of ourselves to God. I got three goals that I want us to set as a church for 2017, three goals for Meadowland. I invite each one of you to join with me in these goals for the year. They're broad enough that you can personalize them for yourself. Even if you're not a Christ follower yet, even if you don't even you don't trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just kind of checking out who he is, you can put your own parameters around this. I would invite you, I would encourage you to make Jesus the center of these, to make him be the one that you are uh, fixing your eyes on, the, 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 the goal of our resolutions. But if you're not there yet, that's okay. You can still join with us in this endeavor. I think these will be things that will still help you on your journey. But the first one is this, to read regularly. To read regularly. And I understand that regular is a different thing for each person. We all have different schedules. We all have a different life. We are all a different place on our journey. Uh, we have you know, five to six people in our home at all times. And then if guests come up, one of the things by living with other people that you learn when you watch bathroom schedules is regular means different things to different people. I get that. So you can fill in what regular means. But read regularly. And I'm not just saying, again, you can keep this broad, but I invite you to pull it in to the person of Jesus. I'd even put the example out there saying, I'm going to read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to read the story of Jesus' life when he walked on this earth as both fully man and fully God. And maybe you're very familiar with the Gospels. Expand it. Say, I'm going to read the whole New Testament this year. I'm going to read all of Scripture this year. I'm going to read the New Testament four times this year. You put in for you what that needs to be. Maybe you've, never, you've rarely picked up your Bible. And so it's just going to be the book of Matthew. One of the things I like to do between Christmas and Easter is have a, a series that focuses on Jesus. And we're going to do that again this year. Start in February, we're going to do a series looking at the, the Sermon on the Mount. Basically, Jesus is, is teaching to his disciples, and other people are gathering around and listening to what he has to say, and he hits on every aspect of life. And he just keeps talking on different things. In, in one perspective, you can look at the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, this is all about to-dos. Here's what you do to follow Jesus. But what's interesting is the whole reason people were there is because of Jesus. They were there to engage with Jesus. To hear from him. What does he have to say about life? So yes, here's some things we can go and do, but that wasn't primary. Primary was Jesus. And so maybe that's your read regularly, is to read through the Sermon on the Mount. Make this as small or as large as you can manage. But let's set a goal to read regularly in God's Word. Let's make that about Jesus. I invite you to engage every day. To borrow from the Blues Brothers, we are on a mission from God. We are. As we look through the pages of Scripture, we see Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where the disciples are standing before Jesus, and he basically says, you know, I send you out to, to make disciples of all nations, to go and make disciples. We see in, in Acts chapter 1, we read this starting in verse 6. 
So when they had come together, referring to the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is after he had risen from the grave. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you will have power and authority. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, you will be my witness locally, regionally, and globally. And he says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is going to return. In the meantime, he's given us this mission, a mission from God to be his witness. And one way I can think of to be his witness is to every day engage on the mission of God. All kinds of ways we can do that. I'm going to give you a few examples. Again, these are meant to be broad so that you can zero them in for you and your journey and where you are walking with God right now. But maybe it's as simple as waking up every morning, asking the question, Jesus, how can I live for you today? And even if you don't have an answer when you ask that question, simply beginning your day that way puts your mindset in a different place. If you wake up upset about something, you, that probably sets a tone for your day. You ever had a dream that you woke up and you knew it was a dream, but something bad happened? Maybe you had a, a loved one or a spouse that was doing something that made you angry? I had that, or I don't know what the dream was, I still can't remember it. But all I remember is my wife did something that just drove me nuts, and I was so frustrated. I was so angry. And I wake up, angry at my wife who had done nothing and like for the whole it was in this weird moment too like i didn't wake up well that day and like for the whole first hour i'm like sorry honey i'm, I'm trying to get out of this mindset but i'm just angry at you and it's not right and so no but so how we begin our day can make a difference so if we begin our day and if you forget whenever you get to that moment of remembrance begin from that point forward this heart of how, how can i make you known today what, what what do you have for me how can i follow you today, Jesus. How can I take a next step? How can I live for you today? You could ask a question like this. How can I be obedient to your call on my life? Maybe even get, this is a question you can ask at the beginning of your day, but I think it's also if you get to the end of your day and all of a sudden you realize, I'm, I'm in bed laying down trying to fall asleep and I realize I haven't engaged with the mission of God. I, I've been, I woke up with my own stuff to do, my own agenda, and I got caught up in that, and my day went by, and it's over. What, how do I engage today now? You can simply ask the question, what did you want me to see today, Jesus? What lesson did you have for me? What did you want me to learn? What, what did you want me to know about who you are? Again, you can, you can ask that question at the beginning of your day as well, or in the middle of your day, but whether the day is before you or the day has gone, in some way or another, Engage every day with the mission of God. Keep it on your heart and on your mind. The third one is this. Simply share. Read regularly. I encourage you and invite you to focus on the person of Jesus. Engage every day in the mission of God in some way or another. Even if it's just asking that question and then seeing what God has for you the day ahead. And then simply share. We're called to be a witness to the work of God that's unfolding in the world and, and through our lives. Look for opportunities through your words and through your actions, to share Jesus with others. Look for opportunities to give of yourself to others, like the wise men gave their gifts, like the story of this drummer boy who gave his ability to play the drum. Look for opportunity to give of your resources to others, like the wise men did. 
let it all be done with the heart of seeing the mission of God fulfilled in and through you. Because while God doesn't need our gifts, he invites us to give them. And when we do, he works in and through us again for his glory and for our good. So as we seek to succeed at the things that matter, remember what we're called to, church. We're called to make disciples of all nations. We're called to be a witness to the work of God throughout the world. We're called to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples of Jesus made. So will you join with me? Let us succeed at being faithful to this call on our lives. Let us take the next step in our journey as we read regularly, engage every day, and simply share about what Jesus is doing in our lives. Welcome to 2017. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the season ahead. We thank you for the continuation of the Christmas story as told through the, the story of the wise men. Father God, help us to follow in their steps of, of giving of ourselves to you, worshiping you by offering ourselves to you, Father. Even if we're not even fully sure what that looks like or what that means today, help us come to know more each day what that looks like. Help us to begin our day asking, how can we live for you today? Seeking, what do you have for us? Let us turn down the noise. Let us put aside the distractions and to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. We will consider you, Jesus, for all that you've done. We will lift you high. Thank you, Jesus. Your name. Amen.